The Gospel, a basic truth, is sponsored by One Jump Ahead, a nonprofit sport ministry with a focus on strengthening families on our journey together. They provide a family oriented sport with Christ centered values and a unique look into how jump rope goes hand in hand with the gospel and our daily walk with Christ. Check them out. Go to onejumpahead.org. That's onejumpahead.org. Greetings. Here we are in our series, The Gospel of Basic Truth. We're looking at places in Scripture where we can find the Gospel message other than John 3.16. And today we're going back to the book of Romans. We briefly talked about the book of Romans when we were in our third episode and talked about the Apostle Paul. Today we're going to spend some more time, and so as we look at uh, the book of Romans, uh, some things to remind ourselves. So Paul wrote to churches that he planted, and he wrote to uh, two of his associates, uh, Timothy and Titus. Now, Paul's uh, letters to the churches uh, typically all follow a, a particular format. There are four parts in Paul's letters. There's a greeting at the beginning, and at the end, there's a goodbye, a closure, you know, some words of encouragement to people he knows and, and vice versa. And then in the middle, the middle two parts are always teaching. The first part, and it's always the, the, the largest part, it, Paul is teaching and it's uh, some theological issue. The second part of the teaching is always application. Now that we have the teaching done in the theology, Paul then says, and now here is how it should play out. Here is how it should work out in your life. Now, Paul, in writing to these churches, and these are churches that he had planted, there are issues. And so each of the letters addresses a particular issue. As we talked about in Galatians, Paul is dealing with a church who is being tempted to leave the gospel and go on to other things. And so he sets out the gospel in, in pretty salty language to them. In the Corinthian letters, um, Paul is dealing with a, a very wealthy church. Uh, it's kind of like Orange County, California. You've got everybody's it's got their own business. You know, every guy's driving a Beamer. He's got a Rolex. And every, every wife is, was a cheerleader when she was in high school. It was that kind of church. And there, Paul is dealing with, and this will shock you, of course, um, they had a lot of sexual immorality there. And they had charismatic chaos in their worship service. They were all saved people, but they were just kind of forgetting themselves. And so Paul is trying to remind them. So just a couple of examples. Every letter deals with an issue specific to that church. Uh, there's theological teaching and then application. Romans is different, though. Paul did not plant the church in Rome. Now, it's clear when we get to chapter 16, which is the closing, that he knows several of the people there. But he did not plant this church. And it doesn't really appear that he's necessarily aware of any issues. But he writes this letter. And I think what is telling, and let me start with a kind of a trick question. Who was the book of Romans written to? Now, it's easy to say it was written to the Romans. But again, 
No, that, that's not right. It was written to the church in Rome. Now, as we look at the uh, chapter 16, the last chapter, it's clear when he is greeting many of the people in the church in his closing statement there, he knows many of them. They, these were Jews, uh, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, just people that he'd known from other places. There's a series of a list of names that he greets, and <laughs> historians tell us, oh, those are all classic slave names. Turns out many of the people in this church were actually slaves in the imperial household of Caesar. And one of the names mentioned is actually uh, someone who was, uh, is known in history, who was a, a freeman. He had a slave who had been freed by Tiberius Caesar, prior Caesar. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and yeah, there may have been some Roman citizens in that church, but by and large, it was a pretty international church with, again, a lot of slaves and, uh, and a lot of Jews. Now, why, why does he write in Greek? So he's writing to the church in Rome. Now, Rome is the capital city of really what was probably the largest empire in human history. There's a million people. Now, it's true that in most of the western part of the empire, they spoke Greek. In the eastern part of the empire, they typically spoke Aramaic in the marketplace. But in Rome, you know, what did Rome do as the Romans? You would think he would have written to them in Latin. But he doesn't. He writes to them in Greek. You know, it's kind of like, what if somebody was to write to a church here, your church here in America, from another country, and they wrote it in Spanish. Yes, many people could read that letter, but most of us probably could not. So isn't it curious that he's writing to the church in Rome, and yet he doesn't write in the language that they would normally speak. He writes again in Koinia Greek. Friends, I believe that Paul was not just writing to the church in Rome, I think he was looking far beyond that church. He, he knew that he was writing this for time and eternity. Paul knew that when he wrote this letter, that we'd be reading it 2,000 years ago today as I'm speaking. And it is his great work, as they say in Latin, his magnus opus. Now in Romans, the first half of the first chapter is the greeting. And so as we get into the theological teaching, he, he's teaching about salvation. And then that finishes in 11 and then 12 through 15, we have the application. Let's stop for a minute and talk about salvation. Salvation really comes in three parts or three steps. The first step we say, you are being saved from the penalty of sin. The next step, we say, you're being saved from the power of sin. Okay. And the third step is, you're being saved from the presence of sin. Now, the big theological words here are justification, sanctification, and glorification. All right, those are the big words. Put those aside. The first step in salvation is kind of what we would think. You acknowledge that you are a sinner, that Jesus is God come in the flesh who died on the cross, 
to pay the penalty for your sin, and you accept that gift in faith. And at that moment, it's a moment in time, you are saved from the penalty of sin, which is separation from God and ultimately eternal punishment. What happens after you're saved, though? Well, you're still living in the flesh. You're still going to sin, and we know that because John tells us that in John 1, 9. So everybody sins. So after you're saved, that moment in time, the rest of your life, you are in that struggle trying to live the Christian life, trying to separate yourself from that power of sin. Now, it's never a straight upward path. You have good days and bad days, but we call that process sanctification. Now, finally, if when you die or if the Lord comes in the rapture, someday you will be in heaven with Christ as he rules and reigns on the throne, and sin will not be present at all, and you will be glorified along with Christ. So that is salvation. It's really three parts. Now, it's not like you can only get one part and not the others. The book of Ephesians is very clear. God chose us before the beginning of the world for all three of these things. So you get one, you get them all. Now, here in Romans, bringing it back, the first part of the book of Romans, we're dealing with that justification. How do you get saved? And then as, and so, and that's through about chapter 8. And then from there until the end of 11, he talks about sanctification. So that's kind of how the book is laid out. Today we're going to talk actually about what's called the Romans Road. Now, many of you may know what that is. I'll tell you, I, uh, my wife and I are what we call four presenters. I don't know, maybe I've said this before, but I've read these reports and studies that say that most people come to the Lord before their age of 30. And in fact, surveys, at least in modern times, um, only 4% of Christians come to salvation after the age of 30. My wife and I had been married 10 years when we got saved, so we're four percenters. I do, though, remember as a child, someone speaking to my mother, and this person had a Bible, and they were, all I remember was something about the Romans Road. Now, I was a child, the person was not speaking to me, I really wasn't following it at all. I got to university, uh, and there were godly people there, unfortunately, they they tended to be kind of what I call bad breath evangelism, you know. Are you saved? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I can remember some people trying to explain the Romans Road, but again, you know, I guess I did not have ears to hear. Now, as we go, however many, you know, 50 years later, here we are. Um, Romans Road is very interesting. So far in all the episodes, I have uh, you know, focused on a person or some or somebody, um, and and looked at maybe you know just a couple of verses to say, okay, here's the gospel. The Romans Road actually sets the gospel out, but it kind of jumps all around the book of Romans, and so you kind of have to put all these verses together, and and you get the gospel. Um, many. Uh, uh, Many missionaries, evangelists, uh, uh, pastors, lay people, they memorize uh, these verses, and so they use that as a witnessing tool. Again, 
it was presented uh, the two times when I was younger in a way that I wasn't following it. Now, obviously, once I was very young. I was doing some research on this, and I found something, a, a really great resource on the Internet. And it was written by a lady named Mary Fairchild. And she sets this out. It's just a web page. And, and it just gives her name, and it says, Updated August 9th, 2021. What Mary did is just fascinating. Now, remember I said there's different types of teaching, and, and traditionally there's always been three ways to teach, or what the smart kids say, teaching modalities. Remember, Matthew shows Jesus teaching formally or the didactic method where you just get up and lecture, which is what I think people were doing when the first couple times I heard the Roman road, and maybe that's why I didn't get it. The second form of teaching we, we see Jesus uh, using in the book of Mark, and this is kinetic or experiential teaching, and this is kind of how you learn to ride a bike, play an instrument, um, you know, and that's how you learn there. And then finally in Luke, the, the third type of teaching was what they call dialectic, and it's a series of questions and answers. All right. Um, Mary... Uh, Fairchild takes the Romans road and she puts it into five questions. And I went through that and I said, ah, this is genius. So that's what we're going to do today. I think it is much easier to understand the Romans road when you go through these questions. Now, before we do that, I'm going to tell you another little side story. Or let me ask you a question first. Have you ever tried to give the gospel by asking questions? Okay, well, we're going to do that today uh, in these five questions. But it reminded me of a time, uh, my brother-in-law, John. Uh, John and I were two completely 180-degree different people, okay? Um, John is an easygoing kind of guy, or he was. He's gone to be with the Lord now. And, you know, and I'm a type AA kind of guy. Uh, John was a conscientious objector. I went into the military at 17. Ended up going to a military academy. Uh, John did uh, all the recreational drugs, and, and I, I don't even know what they look like. Okay, so very different kind of people. I want to tell you, John and I became very, very close. And um, I guess opposites attract. At any rate, somebody had given John uh, some books in the Left Behind series, so written several years ago, and it deals with the rapture and what happens if the rapture comes and you're left behind. So John is reading those. I don't know how many he wrote, but he became convicted like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, what's going to happen to me? Because he, he realized whatever he needed, he didn't have. So we were at a Labor Day birthday party picnic out by the pool, you know, real Southern California. And um, after dinner and a presents and a cake, and it's getting dusk, everybody's going in. And so I'm supposed to stand. My wife and sister-in-law are telling me, you got to talk to John. So, okay. I don't know that my heart was in it that day, but, you know, when you're called to do something, you do it, right? So what am I going to say to John? So we're, two of us are sitting out there, and so I say, John, are you going to be left behind? And he's like, what? And I said, are you going to be left? So I started with a question, and that actually started in, honestly, folks, I don't think 
anything I said after that, God called him. I was just there putting my hand out when the fruit fell off the tree. But I thought it was interesting that I could engage him in a conversation by starting it out with a question. So just that as, uh, gee, this technique works. So I am going to give you these five questions, and I'm going to say each one five times. Then I'm going to go back through, and we're going to read the Bible verses from Romans to explain each one of these things. And I'll say it again at the end, but if you get done listening to this and you go, gee, that's kind of interesting, and you would like a written outline of this, just contact the radio uh, station, and I'll make sure that uh, they, can, they can send you a, an email with, with a document that, that sets out the outline of this. All right, so as Mary Fairchild presents it, here we go. Question number one. So if you got your pen and paper, who needs salvation? Who needs salvation? Number two, why do we need salvation? Why do we need salvation? Question number three, how does God provide or, or give us salvation? How does God provide the salvation? Question four, okay, how do we receive or accept salvation? How do we receive or accept salvation? And finally, the last question is, what are the results of salvation? What are the results of salvation? All right, let's go back to the first question. So, as Mary Fairchild presented it, she gives the question, who needs salvation? You know, if you're talking to a particular person, I would change this question a little bit and say, hey, do you need salvation? Or do you think you need salvation? I would make it real personal for a person. So that's the question. Who needs salvation? And there are a couple sections of verses here in Romans that answers that question. So you would ask the question, see what the person has to say, and then say, well, okay, let's see what Scripture says about it. And now we're going to go to Romans, and this is called the Romans Road. So the first one uh, is Romans 3, 9 through 12, and I'll read that. All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, I'm going to stop there. You know, in that world, there were two kinds of people. You were either Jewish or you weren't. And if you weren't, then you were a Gentile. All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and that's an interchangeable word, Greeks and Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. One more verse here to answer the question, who needs salvation? And that is Romans 3.23. Now, this is a good memory verse. So this is one of the verses that uh, I learned uh, when I was involved with uh, the Navigator ministry, and uh, you had the bridge diagram. So I actually 
was able to come to the Lord by studying the bridge diagram, and this is one of the verses that you would memorize. Here it is, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who needs salvation? Everyone needs salvation, according to these verses. So the Romans road begins with the truth that everyone needs salvation because all people have sinned. Okay, what is sin? (laughs) Breaking rules, breaking laws, doing something that God says we should not do. Breaking our relationship with God. So all have sinned. Nobody gets a free ride. Every person is guilty before God. We all fall short of the mark. Now, if you, if you get that far with a person, that's great. You can go on to the next question. But it, as you're going through this question, who needs salvation, and you're trying to make the point that the person you're talking to needs salvation, you, you, you're going to want them to agree, like, okay, um, let's just take Scripture at face value. Let's say this is true. Do you need salvation according to the Bible? And the person should say yes. Have you ever sinned? Well, what's a sin? Well, have you ever had a guilty conscience for doing something? Yeah. Well, God's law is written on your heart. So if you have a guilty conscience, you know in your heart you've sinned. So, if you're a sinner, do you need salvation? Well, I guess, according to Scripture. All right, if you can get that far with a person, you go on to the second question. All right, assuming that we all need salvation, why do we need salvation? And the next verse that you would ask them, and they probably don't really know how to answer you, so you say, well, let's see what Scripture says. So Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, this is another memory verse. When I walked for a while with the Navs, the, uh, they'd have different memory packs. I think I memorized five. So I think I memorized 60 of their verses. And this was one, again, in the first pack when you, when you go through the bridge diagram and uh, the question of salvation. So why do we need salvation? Well, from step question one, we know that we are sinners And this says that because we sin, the consequence is death. Now, it's physical death, spiritual death, separation, and enmity with God. Okay, And if the Lord tarries and you die and you're not saved, you go into the temporary holding place, which is called hell. This is bad. But then there's going to be a great white throne judgment at the end of time. Everybody's going to be resurrected. And if you're unsaved, you're going to go into the lake of fire. And that's really, really bad. Okay, that's like torment forever. Years ago, I knew a man, uh, Dave. Dave was in his 70s. He was one of our uh, small group leaders, he and his wife. Dave, Dave was a super friendly guy, and he was a salesman, and he could talk to anybody about anything. He could sell anybody anything. He was also quite a ladies' man, so he he really outgoing guy. And he was a man that was always leading somebody to the Lord. It seemed like every year, every 18 months, 
He'd have somebody new. And he'd bring him to church. And he would be bringing, it's just, I don't know how he did it. He witnessed to somebody who was in their 60s and 70s. And next thing you know, they accept Christ. And Dave would work with them for a year or so. And so we were, uh, we were teasing him one day at one of our, our meetings that, you know, he could, uh, you know, he could witness to anybody about anything. Anyway, t- um, so we offered him a challenge. I, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out a penny. And I said, okay, Dave, here's a penny. Witness off of this penny. And he thinks for a minute and he goes, you know, you know where that penny came from? You earned that penny. Uh, you know, you work 40 hours a week and every two weeks you get a paycheck. The money you get, like that penny, are the wages for your work. So that's what you earned. In the same way, when you sin, the wages you earn are death. Ooh. You earned this because you sinned. The good news, and now we go to the second part of Romans 6.23, but the free gift, all right? Sin is what we earned, but this eternal life in Christ Jesus is a gift, and it's a free gift, and it comes from God. So why do we need salvation? Because we are all sinners And because we're sinners, our sin has earned us what we deserve, which is eternal condemnation, spiritual and physical death. But the good news is that we can have eternal life, all that paid off, all that penalty paid off, and it's free, but it's in Christ Jesus. Now, Hopefully, at this question, as you, as you go through the answers, people will understand wages. They'll understand what a gift is. And hopefully, as, as you go through the, the question and you see what they say, you read the verses, and you talk about it a little bit, hopefully those wheels will start turning. Oh, I deserve this. Yeah. And you can't escape it. Now, we go to the third question. All right, we see that we need salvation from question two. And question three then, okay, the logical question is, how does God provide this salvation? How does God provide this salvation? And see what they say. So we have another memory verse here, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how does God provide salvation? Through the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God-man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross not to pay the penalty of his sins, but to pay the penalty of all of our sins. Okay? His last words on the cross were, it's finished. And he uses a word which means paid in full, to telestai. What's paid in full? The debt of our sin. It's paid in full. So, through the death and resurrection of God's own Son, our debt that we owed is satisfied. Someone else paid our traffic ticket. All right? 
So that makes sense, hopefully, to the person, and they're following you. Hopefully, you get a little bit more interest here. We all have sinned. Okay. The wages of sin are death. That's part two. God provides salvation to us through the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, number four, how do we receive? Okay, you ask them, how do we receive salvation? You know, maybe a simpler word. How, how do we accept it? It's a gift. Now, think of you're at a, a birthday party. Everybody brings you gifts. Somebody you don't like comes in and says, I brought a gift for you. I don't want it. God, I don't like you. I don't want your gift. You know, you don't have to take it. You can leave it on the table and everybody can go home. And this gift will still be sitting there. So God provides us this gift. How do we receive it? How do we accept that gift? Got a couple uh, <clears throat> verses here. The first uh, is Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I just want to focus on verse 9, though. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? Well, in our day and age, may not be clear, but certainly 2,000 years ago, that statement would have been crystal clear to the people uh, in the Roman Empire. When Caesar Augustus became the first emperor, he very quickly realized that, uh, you know, nationalism was not a good thing. You know, he was a globalist, and uh, so, uh, and as I've said before, more and more people in the Roman legions were foreigners. You know, you don't want citizens to get some idea and have weapons or something. So very early on, uh, Caesar Augustus realized he had to get personal loyalty from each person. And so he went to the Roman Senate, and he asked that they, they vote to make him a god. Really, that's really what happened. And typically, that's what the Roman emperors did. So now, once you're a god, um, they would get a bust of, of the emperor. You would set it up in the city, and there would be um, a thing of fire, and there would be some incense. And you had to go over and loudly in front of officials, take some of the incense, throw it in the fire, and say, Caesar is Lord. All right, that is what they would say. And of course, it would be in Latin. Caesar is Lord, and that meant Caesar was God. So in Scripture, when we, we say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, everybody would have understood you are confessing that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. All right, so you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Now, there's a lot of commentators, and we could spend some time looking at 10, but the commentators point out there's kind of two parts to this. Salvation comes through acknowledging to God who Christ is and believing in him. So you've got to have both. 
what does it look like if you only have the first part? Yeah, I could talk to you and you could say, you know, I think you're right. I think, I think Jesus, I think he is the God-man. He's God come in the flesh. I, I think so. And I think he died on the cross. Friends, that's not enough. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter says, you believe in God? Well, so do the demons, and they shudder. Excuse me, not belief. You acknowledge, I, I said that wrong. But the idea here is, in, in James, the demons acknowledge who Jesus was. We see that all through the Gospels. They knew who he was, but they didn't believe in him in faith. I, I know people who have been to even... Uh, you know, like a Billy Graham crusade, you know, you could all get caught up in the fervor and the preaching and and the music and all these people walk down. And I know people who have walked forward at a Billy Graham concert. They they believed what Billy told them, but they they didn't believe in faith. I mean, they, they accepted intellectually who Jesus was, but they didn't go to God and rely on that in faith. That is what we're called to do. You want to open up that gift? You can. But it's a question of, yes, I believe what I read in Scripture about Jesus Christ, and I believe in faith. I I accept wholeheartedly for myself. Even though I, I can't see it, I believe it. The uh, second verse here on how do we receive salvation is Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? To call on the Lord means to pray in faith for salvation. Lord, I believe who you are and who Jesus is. I believe he died. And I'm I'm throwing myself on you. My hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness and nothing else. All right, so we've asked six questions. Who needs to be saved? Everyone, because everyone's a sinner. Why do we need to be saved? Because the wages of sin is death, punishment. How does God provide that salvation to us? He provides it to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of our sins. And number four, how do we accept or receive that? We do it in faith. We believe the facts and we we call on God in faith. Now, the fifth question is, what are the results of salvation? Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we had salvation is in three parts. The first part is what we say justification. You are saved from that penalty of sin. Those wages you earned are canceled. Okay, And since we are justified by faith, we now have peace with God, forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. And that's a package. It all comes together. Romans 8.1 There 
is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are saved. You're justified. And, and, and one of the consequences of that justification is you're no longer condemned before God. So how does that work? When God looks at a saved person, he sees Christ. We are in Christ. And so we, we are not punished. There's no condemnation because God, when he looks at us, sees Christ. One more set of verses here, and that's Romans 8, 38 and 39. Now, you know, the first seven chapters of Romans is pretty bleak, you know. We're bad, we're bad, we're bad. The consequences are bad. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Whatever it is, you're bad, and the consequences are all the same. You're bad. But now, as we get to, okay, you're now justified. We get into chapter 8. This is a, it's a beautiful chapter. I know people who will memorize the whole chapter. I'm going to read again, 8, 38, and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, that's a beautiful thing. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God when we are in Christ Jesus. You know, I am uh, a writer, volunteer writer with gotquestions.org, and um, every once in a while I'll get a question and somebody will say, you know, I got saved, you know, when I was in college, and, you know, I was into all these bad things, and, you know, I've I backslidden. I'm back to doing drugs again. Have I lost my salvation? Or someone will write and say, you know, um, I got saved, in, but there was one sin I never confessed, and that was this really, really bad sin. So am I really saved? The idea here is that you can separate yourself from God. Maybe nothing else can separate you from God, but somehow you are more powerful than God, and even though you're in God's hand, you are so powerful that you can jump out of God's hand. Being sarcastic now. How can you jump out of God's hand? Well, I could turn my back on God. Well, if you've genuinely made a, a, a confession of faith, yeah, we have our ups and downs. Now, here's the part of Romans 8, 38 and 39 that I like. Nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Are you a created being? Yes. That means you can't even separate yourself from God. So that is the Romans road. The idea here is you memorize these verses. Now, I like Mary Fairchild using these questions because you engage the person. I mean, if you just talk at them, uh, it might be like my first couple of experiences. I wasn't following it. But if you ask these five questions, you can focus the person you're witnessing to and, and see where they are at. Now, interesting, uh, again, if you write to the radio station, I'll make sure that uh, we can get a 
file and email and sent back to you that outlines what we've done today. But Mary ends it in, she wants to set this whole thing out again in what we'd say the, uh, the formal teaching way. So she's given us the questions in all the verses and then restates it all. And so here's how she restates it. So after all those things are said, all those questions are asked and answered, she would have you say something like this to the person you're witnessing to. If you believe Romans road leads to the path of truth, you can respond by receiving God's wonderful gift of salvation today. Here's how to take your personal journey down Romans road. And she gives five statements, which in many ways are a restatement of the questions, but you would say to the person you're witnessing to, admit you are a sinner. That's a confession. Understand that as a sinner, you deserve death. Believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from sin and death. So those are the facts. Yeah, those, those are the facts. You've you got to believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from sin and death because he was the perfect man who did not sin. Now, repent by turning from your old life of sin to the new life in Christ. And then finally, now receive this gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Take that step in faith. This is like, there's this invisible bridge. I'm back to the nows now, but is someone tells you, okay, you, you can walk across this chasm. There's a bridge here. You can't see it. Trust me. Have faith. It's here. Well, what do you have to do? Sooner or later, if you want to cross that and get to the other side, you're going to have to take a step. First one step, and then another step, and so all of your weight is on this invisible bridge. <gasps> and it holds you up. So you're taking that step in faith. I want to go back to John. You know, I, I started out by asking a question, so are you going to be left behind? And then we stepped through the gospel, um, and he had some questions along the way. And so I was able, I had some demonstrative things to show what kind of faith looked like. And there was some point, it was this <gasps> moment, and he got it, and he wanted it. And I said, can you pray in faith? And he did. Friends, John was not a young guy. He'd lived a rough life, got himself cleaned up. He just broke down and, and, and cried and cried. So I said, John, you've got to go back into the house now and tell your wife, tell Linda, tell, tell them what just happened. Oh, my gosh. This guy went in. He was still crying, and then he was happy. He was so happy, and he said, we got to go. He knew exactly the church he wanted to go to. It was a Calvary Chapel church, and this was like Saturday night. 
They drove all the way back to Orange County. It must have been 10.30 at night. He didn't go home. He just wanted to drive to that church because tomorrow morning he was going to be there in person. Um, several months later, we got a call and uh, our sister and brother-in-law said, hey, we're getting baptized. So we ended up somewhere, somewhere in Orange County. And this couple had a nice house. It was a big pool in the backyard. And there was all these people. And we watched. And John got, he got dunked. He got baptized. John and I became very, very close after that. Um, you know, he's not my brother-in-law. He is my brother in Christ. Friends, you can do this. You can go through these questions. You could even have a piece of paper laying out there. And it's an easy way to do it. Let me pray and um, let us go forward. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for Romans. That, that you caused a man to write this that it would be used for 2,000 years. I thank you that it's clear and that you've shown us how we can present the gospel here. Father, give people strength and confidence that this is a tool that they can use. Lord, prepare their hearts and prepare the hearts of the people that they will get to witness to. Oh Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.